Give me a ping for silly. One ping only, please. Captain! Car here. Captain! Welcome to the greatest discovery. It's a new Star Trek podcast from the makers of the greatest generation. I'm Ben Harrison. I'm Adam Pranica. How you doing, Adam? <laughs> melty computer today oh man this has been a this has been a crazy computer day there's not much you can do when you're at this point with a computer it's just age yeah there's no fixing it this computer is uh it's like wally it's a rust bucket yeah it's barely surviving at this point it's friends with a cricket I had to get us through this year's Max Fun Drive in order to refresh. Yeah. And uh, that day is coming soon. Yeah. Got to get you a new computer, man. I got the scary text. You know your computer's having problems when it freezes, it turns black, and then the text, like basically the quad box apology pops up, but it's in a (laughs) font that you've never seen your computer use before. (laughs) I would like to apologize to the users of this computer if you were having a problem with me. (laughs) I acknowledge the historical context in which the harm I've done takes place. I'm just going to shut myself off and work on myself for a while. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Well, now that the tour is over, now that the Max Fun Drive is over, maybe we can swing... A new computer for you. But the the tour being over, a, a bit bittersweet for me. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah, me too. I liked getting to go back out on the road. I did too. I mean, for a lot of reasons, before we went out, I think we had approached it with some, uh, not reluctance, but I was feeling uncomfortable to go out on tour, especially, you know, the very first time, the very first dates. Right. This year, I don't know. Kind of a lot of stuff was happening in the country. Yeah, we didn't know what to expect, but yeah. uh, it was a really fun tour. Our, our last night in Austin was yeah. a delight. It really felt good to uh, to have that time in Austin, have that time with our producer, like actually enjoy some recreational time together in a way that I don't feel like we had done very much of on tour because this was the last date. Yeah, we really scheduled this tour within an inch of its life where we were like getting to town, doing the show, leaving town. Yeah. Like no, no uh, screwing around with exposing ourselves to people. Yeah. Because, you know, that's a big risk with Adam. He loves to uh, disrobe in front of people well, if, you, if you take him to a different city. I exposed myself to barbecue and also a giant giraffe statue that was in the <laughs> bar we were <laughs> you did. having drinks in. Yeah, I couldn't believe we didn't get kicked out of the bar. <laughs> Look, when there's a giraffe statue right next to the bar stools, yeah. it's asking you to ride the giraffe. And so I did. You did. Uh, photographic evidence of Adam riding the giraffe will be in the Instagram. <laughs> oh, good for me. God, I thought what happened on tour stayed on tour, but here we are, Ben. No. Oh. Bill's been telling us people like seeing the... <laughs> The evidence of the tour. Yeah. Man, I was I was smushed that night after the... Yeah. I mean, like, 
This uh, the Austin show was another one where we got a bottle of tequila on stage. Guy dressed as a whale and also as Spock. Right. Uh, <laughs> gave us a, a bottle of tequila. So in addition to our ranch waters that we were drinking, we were also just taking slugs of tequila. And then we went to this bar after and, oh, man, I really went in <laughs> that night. Rum! I need rum, lads! Here's the thing you never have to worry about with me, Ben, mm. is that thing I know we've talked about before how frustrating it feels to want to leave a place and then have mm. especially your uh, your closest person just not pick up the hint. Yeah. Oh, yes. You will never have that problem with me because I think before you even, <laughs> even finished the, the question, hey, do you want to? I was like, yeah, let's fucking roll. <laughs> and it wasn't because I was having a bad time. I was having a great time. Yeah. It was purely because I could see that time of the night happen. Yeah. And... Basically, a ton of good had happened up until that point. Anything later on would have paled in comparison. We'd uh, succeeded in uh, in having a great time, and we left it all in the field. Yeah. It was good. It, it was a good time. Great barbecue. We had, we had two different barbecue meals mm-hmm. in Austin, both notably good. Yeah. Yeah, man. I am still sweating it out. To be honest, I haven't been right since. I've just been generally not that hungry since getting home. (laughs) It probably had something to do with the mac and cheese and the coleslaw and the cobbler. Yeah. I got mac and cheese, coleslaw, cobbler, and beans as sides. It was like a, I got three meats and four sides (laughs) at that place. It's a great ratio. (laughs) Yeah. The only thing I've been eating since I've been back are macaroons. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> because we also got gift macaroons on stage at the Austin show from the obsessive macaronist. Yes. And uh, that's basically all I ate before getting on mic. Yeah. I'm feeling great right now. <laughs> that super speedy macaroon energy. Let's record an episode while you are still macaroon high. Yeah. It's Star Trek Strange New World, Season 1, Episode 4, Memento Mori. We get La'an's log here. Yeah, before we get to the log, I want to say I don't like the last time on for this show. I think it's extraneous. I wish they would get rid of it. Wow. Okay. I th- I'd say just leave the show. Let Let each episode stand alone. Like, the backstory is interesting, but we know it. We watched it, and I'd say that without it, the the episodes are perfectly good. Especially because what they choose to serialize on the show will often ruin the surprise of the episode to come, right? It's saying like, hey, now make sure you pay attention to this character. Yeah, this character is going to have something going on with them. Yeah. You're right. You don't need it. Get it out of here. Why did we start doing that? We didn't need that. You know, back in my day, my Star Trek didn't have last time ons except for uh, for cliffhangers. Right. Not every episode's a cliffhanger. No. I think I might be on your side. You don't need it. I say get rid of it. That's uh, If anybody from the Star Trek industrial complex is listening, our two requests, one, hmm? blow us out an airlock on one of these shows. Yes. Two, get rid of that for uh, for Strange New Worlds. It makes more sense on yeah. a show like Disco or or whatever where there's like a lot of story that is continuous from episode to episode, but uh, I don't need it for this one. I'm with you. I might be pushing forward 30 
from now on. Wow. Wow. Maybe I don't want what they're giving me in the last time on. <laughs> Maybe I want to go in cold. It is very cold in space. Speaking of cold, Laan's log is a pretty uh, terse description of the drop-off mission that they're doing. They're giving an atmospheric processor to the people of Finibus Three. Without our assistance, the air on this remote colony will become unbreathable in a matter of weeks. But the real noteworthy thing for Laan is that it's Remembrance Day in the Federation, and everybody is uh, putting on a pin on their uniform to honor the memory of colleagues or friends who have died in the line on Starfleet vessels. A lot of people on Starfleet social media confuse this with Starfleet Veterans Day. Starfleet Mm. Veterans Day is an observance of living Starfleet crew people, Mm -hmm. and Starfleet Mm -hmm. Remembrance Day is about those uh, that we've lost. Mm -hmm. Do you think they ever shorten it to just RSVPD? Yeah. I mean... The fun ones do. (laughs) Everyone's wearing a great big pip. Yeah. Pips for their previous ships. Yeah. Challenge pips? It's pips for ships, Ben, and no Mm -hmm. one's wearing more than one. I thought for (laughs) sure we'd see the guy who had been on many ships. Yeah. Somebody's got more than one person that they lost, right? That's Yeah, that's what I think. But maybe it makes you choose a favorite. Uh oh! <laughs> you see a crew person from a ship that that you served with before, and they're wearing a different pip from you, and and I would imagine they'd take great umbrage with, yeah. Why aren't you wearing this pip? You're wearing the USS Pequod pip. Interesting, huh? Hmm. <laughs> huh. Anyway, Hammer and Ahura are walking a corridor, and it looks like Ahura is cross training. Yeah. With Hammer for engineering. And he's going to be that kind of teacher that puts up the stern front, but really has a heart of gold. The students just love. She's not going to allow him to big dog her. No. Fine. No. Points granted. You want the Fields Medal? You can have the Fields Medal, says Hammer. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, that's going to be a storyline. Up on the bridge, La'an shows up not wearing her pin, and number one pinches her because everybody has to wear pin on on Remembrance Day. You're not wearing your pin. No big deal. Okay. You know how I feel about it. Yeah, I definitely do. It's like wearing green on St. Patrick's Day. You get pinched if you don't do it. What if this is your first chip? Like, do you just choose a different pin? Yeah. I mean, some people can't be wearing pins. It seems like everybody is wearing pins. Like, everybody has somebody that they've lost. It's a lot of people. Yeah. It it, it actually, like, it feels kind of crushing to see how many mm-hmm. people are wearing pins. Did you notice that Spock's pin was uh, tiled out because it's a secret <laughs> who he lost? Spock's pin is pixels. God, that that would be so great. (laughs) When Leon arrives on the bridge, she has an interaction with number one. That is great and notable for its crosstalk. Like they are cutting each other off and off and off in a really fun way. Closure seems like a reason. Starfleet has... I am not... Some doctor inside my head to try and fix me. I'm not broken. I'm fine. In a way that if it were you and me, you'd want to take both sequences apart a little bit, give both tracks some room to breathe. Sure. So that it sounds like we're not 
really stepping on each other as much as we mm-hmm. really mm-hmm. do. Yeah. I often leave that as is in my edits when I think it uh, it's just a thing that happened in the record. I always get notes. <laughs> Every single time I leave a little bit of crosstalk, I get a note to the point where I'm just like, well, I guess I have to take every bit of crosstalk out of every single edit or I will get a fucking note. Well, I guess Ben's going to have to start editing harder. <laughs> that That's yeah. the note. That's the note. Edit harder. Edit harder. <laughs> Edit longer. <laughs> That's up to you, Charlie, but you might consider cutting the kid a little slack. They pull up to Finibus 3. Finibus 3 does not answer hails. Where's the welcome wagon? Send down a landing party. This is a landing party, not in action jackets, but in like disco style away team kit. Right. With the with the shoulder lights. It's not like Ensign Lance with his fucking blue bloods mag light. Now you keep his name out of your goddamn mouth. You keep <laughs> Ensign Lance's name out of your goddamn mouth. <laughs> Don't slap me, bro. <laughs> I was looking around for him. Yeah. I am so crushed to think that he might not be a recurring character. Ugh. Yeah, I'm sorry, man. Maybe they'll find like a doofy guy with glasses to put in an episode too. <laughs> <laughs> ben, do you think it's more scary if there had been one large fire or more scary that there are a lot of little fires when they beam mm. down to the surface because I know what I think. A lot of little fires means something very, very bad has happened here. Yeah. This is not a cool scene down in this colony. Definitely a skirmish here. <laughs> when you're lighting your decorative lanterns, often a little tea candle will be put in the bottom of a paper bag. <laughs> These are called luminarias. <laughs> you want to choose your bag carefully. <laughs> because what you can turn your front yard into is this away team situation on Finibus 3. <laughs> the fire marshal is going to be none too happy when he sees that they have chosen actual candles and not rechargeable LED-powered facsimiles. It's actually quite confusing to me because our bricklayer is also named Finibus. <laughs> hey, away team. How about rescuing that dog instead of just leaving it locked up in that building? Yeah. Yeah, you don't like that. That's fucked up. You don't like that at all. No. But they are distracted by the rivers of blood <laughs> flowing through this town square and like yeah. the scorch marks and all this that. This is not just a everybody's missing. This is an everyone was massacred type yeah. scene. Yeah. It's all blood, no bodies, though. Right. Where are those bodies? Yeah. So they're kind of relaying some of this up to the ship when uh, on the bridge we get a little, like, enhanced moment on the view screen, and it zooms in on a ship that's coming out from behind the limb of a moon, and... This is kind of a strange looking ship, but it's like not unfederation looking. Right. Right. It's a bogey. Yeah. So they don't know what this is, but they, they finally get it up on FaceTime. And it is full of bedraggled civilians led by Professor Thandy, who is like, oh, thank God the Federation is here. Hang on. Everything's going to be all right. The story with them is that they bailed into this transport ship after being attacked. Yeah. And... 
don't even try to beam them out of there because it's the kind of transport ship purpose built for the effects work we're going to see a minute from now. (laughs) (laughs) The Enterprise extends a jet bridge out to them, which is great. Attach a deep space transport tube. Yeah. This is the sort of jet bridge you only see in Starbase. You really rarely see this, but uh, yeah, they're they're getting the civilians off. They're walking extremely slowly. When it, when we cut down to the hallway and see the civilians walking off, it is like they are intentionally slow rolling how fast they get off this ship. They're walking jet bridge slow. That's what they are. Yeah, that's what they're doing. Yep. That's like, I don't really care about getting on the plane early or late. I just don't want to be stuck on the jet bridge for a long time. No one wants to be stopped. Yeah. I am so much happier walking the slowest possible speed than stopping. (laughs) Yeah. Stopping sucks. Yeah. Fuck stopping. Right. We call it Crazy Ivan. That's what's going on when La'an and number one are like down there receiving their new guests and talking to Professor Thandy about what happened. There was like fiery rain in the sky and ringing sounds and there's like a little traumatized girl who for some reason wants to run back onto the shitty ship she's like been rescued onto the enterprise but is trying to run back to the bad ship because uh she i don't know (laughs) is a kid she seemed too old to be as like simple in her thinking (laughs) as she was being depicted uh, yeah, so Simple Fig has got a story about monsters. The monsters are coming, hide! <laughs> and uh, she does an impression of the sound that she heard. And this clucking sound really spooks La'an. She's like, have you seen Ferris Bueller? You remember when Cameron was sitting by the edge of the pool making that sound? Yeah. It kind of sounded like that. It snaps La'an like into standing up and she blows in a call to the bridge to scan for a certain frequency. And it's a frequency that Spock is able to find cloaked near a moon, not far from them. And La'an is like calling the plays from the hallway tactically. And unfortunately they can't raise the shields because the jet bridge is out. Yeah, they realize that they are in the jaws of a trap. But they can't protect themselves because of this rescue that they're doing. So this is when the enemy ship reveals itself. And it's extremely chaotic the way it moves. It yeah. like spins back and forth and like zips around. And it uh, it licks a bunch of shots that blow up the unbeamable starship first. And, uh, you know, causes a lot of explosive activity on the jet bridge as well, which is where Lon and and number one are. Right. And that is the scene that takes us to theme. Yeah, kind of a long, cold open, huh? Punctuated by this moment really well, though. Yeah. The first image we get when we come back is of a young man smiling, and then Lon Nunyan Singh is woken up by Nurse Chapel, getting triaged by her, basically. And uh, number one is even more fucked up than... Lieutenant saying, You're bleeding. I'll be fine. Yeah, because she's got a belly wound or like a, a wound to her side. Yeah. And you don't need to watch more than one Civil War film to know <laughs> how badly that can go. 
Yeah, she's uh, she's in a bad way. She orders Singh to head back up to the bridge. And so Lon goes back up there and is basically like, does not break uh, out of her just telling everybody what to do as she walks on the bridge because Pike is like ordering some kind of tactical response and she's like, nope. You have to get shields up and go. Lieutenant, I understand how this might. You can't fight. Confirmed sightings are rare and they have never ventured into Federations. It's the boy. Relax, Jones. He has sold me. Compositionally and physically, this works to La'an's favor too, right? Because Pike is low and La'an is high. Yeah. Because Pike's in kind of the well of the bridge set. Yeah. It really works. I was thinking a lot about just like, like La'an is the like tactics officer and it's a very rare thing. I think that the tactics officer is like trying to do their job from not the bridge. Yeah. Like we never saw Worf like running through a hallway, radioing up to the bridge, like fire torpedoes or whatever, you know? Yeah. I mean, because the only thing not on the bridge for Worf to do is take care of his son and he was never doing that. Right. Alexander and I were never close. Yeah. So he was just pretty much a creature of the bridge. Actually, I can work a double. <laughs> the last time I went to 10 Forward, I had to deliver the O'Brien child. <laughs> it was not agreeable. I no longer go there. <laughs> uh, Laana is seeing visions, and they're pretty constant at this point, of this one individual. And yeah. what's creepy about this person, besides their not actually being there, is that they seem to be <laughs> smiling most of the time. Yeah, seems like a happy guy. Yeah. He was smiling. Yeah. Smiling. She and Pike are describing the Gorns in very Borgsy terms, almost exactly the way Cube described the Borgs when the D met them for the first time, right? Yeah. By the time the D decided to flee... It was the moment where they realized that this is what the Borgs do. They just take you apart, they tire you out, and then they have you. Yeah. I shall be merciful and quick. So uh, the suggestion is like, let's go hide somewhere. Mm -hmm. And uh, they don't have any Mutara nebulas handy. So they have to use this local brown dwarf that's orbiting a black hole. Yeah. As their stand-in for a nebula. <laughs> God, do you remember how many recycled effects shots we got in TNG? I just feel like every episode <laughs> of Strange New Worlds is attempting to top the last one in a fairly profound way. Yeah, because like this one really does borrow a ton from that TNG episode with the encounter with the Borg and from Wrath of Khan. Like yeah. it is self-consciously an homage to those two moments i think but you can't show pink <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> well that's why they went into a brown dwarf they, right. they went the other way <laughs> right because if you see pink you're just gonna think of those other episodes yeah <laughs> you suck <laughs> my mind just works the way it does i'm just a passenger <laughs> so so yeah, they're they're trying to escape. We see like a big explosion in the cargo bay at one point when the Gorns start attacking and uh Ahura wakes up in the cargo bay having been knocked out and finds Hammer with his hand under a big crate with like a giant snowflake on it. Yeah. Hey, was that a liberal on Twitter? <laughs> 
<laughs> it landed on his hand. Wow. <laughs> yeah, that was a that was a quad box that landed on his hand, huh? <laughs> could have been worse. It could have pinned Hammer by one of the antenna. Mm. He could have gotten rinned by this thing. Oh man, that would be no good. Yeah. <laughs> do you think Hammer will ever play piano again? God, I don't know. I do love how many shots of his hand that you get in this episode, <laughs> though, with like a really bent finger situation. Yeah. Do you think that that was a stunt hand or is he just holding his hand in a fucked up way? You cast Hammer for double jointedness, huh? An engineer's most important tools are his mind and his hands. Yeah, yeah. That's the primary thing you need in that character actor. After the last episode where Una Fireman carries Hammer and then you get the scene here where Ahura uses her legs to push the box off of Hammer... Were you kind of trained to believe that maybe Ahura was super powerful also? (laughs) (laughs) Or just that the box is light? Because I was kind of proximity affected by this. Yeah. (laughs) We're retconning Ahura as having super strength also. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, But, I mean, if that's what it is, they don't pay it any mind because uh, Mm. it's just doing what she needs to do to get this box off a hammer. Mm Mm-hmm. If you're distracted by that, you'll be distracted even more by the space palette being among the debris blocking the door. Did you catch a glimpse of this thing? I did, yeah. Like, uh, it's like Costco in there. Yeah. <laughs> I ordered, uh, we replaced the faucet in our kitchen sink, mm-hmm. and we ordered it from a website that sells, like, construction crap, and so they delivered it on a pallet, and it's like... It was a box the size of like a shoe box, but it was delivered on a pallet. Oh, no. And when the guy dropped it off, I was like, hey, can you take the pallet with you? And he was like, no, we don't take pallets back. So I've had this pallet just like lying in my yard ever since, and I like don't know what to do with it. It seems insane to like throw it away. Is it painted or is it raw wood? It's the raw kind. I know that the painted kind they always want back. Yeah. Yeah, because those are, those are owned by the company. Yeah. Shoot. I heard that 99% invisible. All right. Yeah. (laughs) Wow, man. We have a McLaughlin group. Issue one. And the issues being discussed are that the generator thing, the the atmospheric processor is fucked up and it needs to get fixed. And so Hemmer and Ahura are going to have to work on that. They can't beam it into space or beam them out of the cargo bay because transporters are down. Well... I mean, I was a little bit tripped up by this scene too, right? It's not that they need to fix it for it to be used on the planet because everyone's dead down there. Yeah, we don't need to worry about the atmosphere on the planet. Right, but this thing is about to explode and that's a problem. Yeah, it's in like nuclear reactor meltdown mode and they need to stabilize right. the, the reaction. Is it just me or is it hot in here? Meanwhile, Mabenga is also on the Zoom saying that Six Bay is fucked up and all of their fancy medical technology is has been knocked out by the attack. The, the entrepreneur is really shredded by this initial Gorn attack. Casualties? Yes, Captain. Nine confirmed. Hey, Mabenga, you probably still have power running to the system keeping your daughter alive in the pattern buffer. Uh, now is really where the rubber meets the road on your promise the last episode about (laughs) being willing to sacrifice her for other people on the ship yeah because it is very much a one-to-one thing like they need energy that they don't have 
to help people in a medical crisis situation. And no one brings up the daughter. Yeah. Hey, you know what? If you don't want to kill her, Mabenga, maybe you beam her into six bay to to lend a helping hand. Yeah. Just an extra set of hands couldn't hurt, right? She's got those little hands too. So, you know, she could probably reach into number one's tiny wounds, (laughs) pull some shrapnel out of there. Instead, uh, he's going to do some archaeological medicine with Nurse Chapel, some some knife-based surgery. It just sounds condescending when it's put that it way, does. right? Yeah. Archaeological surgery. We're dealing with medievalism here. Yeah. God, what is this, the Dark Ages? Back in the meeting, La'an has a pretty brutal quote about the Gorn saying that the Federation is dead wrong when it comes to the idea of eventually you can empathize with everyone. The Gorn, not going to be receptive to Federation empathy. Was there any point in this episode where you were positive that we would or would not see the Gorn? I I wasn't. I mean, on my second watch through, it occurred to me maybe that they are setting the Gorn up for some kind of big yeah. moment like toward the end of the season or something like that. This felt to me like the moment that was going to make me believe that we would see them. Like the artful way that La'an tells this ghost story Yeah, is like, oh yeah, this is great. Like this is great setup and eventual payoff. I mean, I think that it's kind of powerful that you don't see them because A, Agreed. Yeah. it's like that Jaws thing of like the alien is scarier when you don't see it. Nothing can live up to what the imagination can create. Right. And B, when you actually like look up a picture of the Gorn from TOS, they're like really silly looking. So, Yeah. <laughs> Number one loves to do that kind of research on the computer screens. And uh-huh. they're kind of lucky she's sidelined because no one wants <laughs> to look at those files in this McLaughlin group. <laughs> Those are them? Yeah. Hey, La'an, aren't you being a little dramatic? <laughs> <laughs> but they are monsters. Facts don't care about your feelings, and also the Gorn don't care about your feelings. And that's why Lieutenant Singh has uh, has attempted to not have them. She and the captain have just kind of a one-on-one at the end of this meeting. Pikes like La'an, you actually have a phobia of giant carnival stuffed animals that give out his prizes. <laughs> what are obviously men in bad rubber masks? <laughs> Very much terrifying to you. Some things in this universe are just plain evil. But if you could like uh, remember something about how to fight them or just anything at all, that would be great. And she says she can't really because it's a super upsetting memory and it's all really fragmented in her head. And he's like, well, if anything comes up, Let us know. This is a subtly great Captain Pike moment here because he's like, look, you are the new number one while Una is down in Six Bay. And maybe one day in Starfleet, there will be counselors on the bridge Uh whose job this is primarily. But until that day comes, all of us need to be counselors. And that means giving people hope because hope is something that can be the difference between the crew saving your life and not. Understood, Captain. 
Also, that guy appears over his shoulder while he's saying this. <laughs> the weird smiley guy. He was smiling. <laughs> Just like, ah, behind you. <laughs> Pike's like, are you listening to me? You keep looking over my shoulder. Yeah. Like, I feel like I'm doing a good job with this speech. <laughs> Back in engineering, Hammer's busted hand could neither operate this panel nor grip a bowling ball effectively by the looks mm. of it. Yeah. And a her is going to need to do that thing where she reaches under his armpits to be his arms and hands. <laughs> yeah, she's trying to give him a bite of the cereal, but it's just spilling milk all over his shirt. Oh, but the audience loves this stuff. It's so funny. It's so, <laughs> it, I mean, it looks like his hands. Here, let me help wipe off your face. Womp. And then she's like milking the antenna. How's that even work? Uh huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> Very embarrassing. And then she does it with a golden retriever that's wearing a business suit and glasses, and that's even better. God, so great. If only there were an audience in engineering. (laughs) Some of the best bits ever. Yeah. But yeah, they've got to cool off the core, and so Uhura is going to do the physical interaction with the machine. Hammer's going to talk her through it. She does not have the kind of muscle memory for this. So she is really screwing it up badly initially, but uh, he's giving her good advice, like slow is steady, steady is fast. And uh, up on the bridge, Spock has figured out how to track the Gorn. You challenged us to get creative. He's like, hey, this is like about to be a really like submarine episode. So I figure we should have some kind of sonar effect going. Right. It's working. We've got a signal. And a graphics package to match. Spock has a great creative idea to pitch and the visual aids to help. Yeah. So they're using something about like the navigation computer to figure out where the Gorn are by tracking the Coriolis movements in the gas cloud. I love this stuff. Yeah. This is hard science, but it's understandable hard science. Like everyone knows what a Coriolis movement is. Mm Mm-hmm. You don't need to look it up. You've seen it before. Right. And the idea that a ship is going to create a disturbance in a cloud it moves through and that being a thing that uh, the navigational sensor can pick up. Yes, I get it. Yes. And they find this Gorn ship almost immediately, but unfortunately it's heading right for them. And this is like the submarine ship being injected right into our veins. This is awesome from here on out. This is just like pure uncut submarine film. Yeah. And uh, yeah, that moment where they're like, is this thing like aware of us? Does it know we're here? Yeah. And then it goes past them. Yeah. Like every submarine movie is torpedo heading for them and then missing narrowly. This is that. Yeah. So good. Speaking of torpedoes, uh, they are down to one torpedo. So they can't just shoot willy nilly. And also the guidance systems on the torpedoes are just as fucked as all of the sensors on the starship. So they can't really lean on having a torpedo as an advantage, but knowing where the Gorn ship is, is definitely an advantage. This is big news for Pike, who turns this into another opportunity for speechifying. He gets on the one MC. (laughs) Crew of the Enterprise, Starfleet is a promise. (laughs) And after learning that we have one and only one torpedo left in our arsenal here's what i can promise you only one crew person is allowed to die on this mission (laughs) we don't know who that is i'm almost positive it's not me i'm gonna live for a little while longer before being put into a beeping chair 
But uh, <laughs> I'm going to need your best work. And I hope my speech gave all of you just a little bit more hope. Yeah. Hike out. You've got a one in however many our crew compliment <laughs> is chance of dying in this thing. Uh-huh. <laughs> one other moment I just wanted to call out in this is when that ship is like right on top of them mm-hmm. and Ortegas is sort of losing her nerve. She kind of announces like, I'm going to start firing and Pike looks at Singh, not Ortegas, and it is Singh that gives the order to like stand down. Yeah, I like that too. That kind of like wordless chain of command thing is a really interesting moment. I agree. Like you can understand why chain of command is important for all the obvious reasons, but I think a subtle reason for it to exist is a scene like this where a sub subordinate yeah. might feel so bad getting it from the captain that it's better to have it filter through a direct authority figure instead of many layers up. Yeah. Yeah. Those sailors out there are just boys. It's very humane in that way. And it kind of m- makes you understand both the like relationships between the characters on the bridge and also that thing that Pike has, that, which is like, I want my crew to feel good and not like be preoccupied with their failures. Right. I mean, I'm so glad you called attention to that, Ben, because that was such a quick glance that really told us a lot about how Pike runs his bridge. Yeah. So they come up with this idea that we can drop the torpedo on this Gorn ship manually. Now we're talking. What they're going to do is they're going to fly so that they are positioned above the Gorn ship and then point the nose of the entrepreneur directly down toward the core of brown dwarf and just let the torpedo go yeah and the gravity of the star will pull the torpedo in a straight line through the gorn ship this is such a complex idea made simple by the visual though when you see the ship orient itself around the gorn ship yeah it makes perfect sense it's really well told yeah and and like your comment about how they're kind of one-upping themselves over and over again with these amazing special effects visuals is such a good point. And I think that there's some evidence of really smart restraint in how they do that here too, because when they blow up the Gorn ship, that it is not shown on screen. It feels like a TNG choice. Like, hey, we don't have the budget to blow up this model was like what was motivating it in TNG. But in this episode, it is like, literally, this is what their experience of it is. Like, the blip went away. Yeah. I mean, that's it exactly. You're made to understand that they're flying blind and shooting blind and also absorbing all of their information blind. And this is one of those moments where you get to experience things the way they are in a really elegant way. This isn't the cheap heat of an exploding alien ship. Yeah. This is a a specific choice being made here in terms of its POV. Filmmakers have a bias towards showing the explosion, and I really liked the choice not to in this episode. Well, it's time to have non-explosions in on the conversation. Yeah. A seat at the table for the non-explosions is important. And speaking of non-explosions, three more blips uh, show up on the sonar. God. And it's not just like the kind that we've seen before. There's one lump charcoal class Gorn ship coming toward them (laughs) that is incredible looking yeah 
Yeah. It looks like the AstraZeneca logo, but <laughs> but black. We just did a uh, bonus episode in the bonus feed about the Counterclock incident, which is an animated series episode that introduced uh, Robert April, the uh, new Admiral Bob that we met in the first episode of this show. And that ship in that episode is so weird and crazy shaped. And I feel like this Gorn ship is like that crazy. Yeah. It's really cool looking. I love looking at a ship and not having any idea how it works. It's strangely generalized and uh, <laughs> doesn't appear to have a command center. <laughs> I like the bolted on antenna on one side. Yeah, yeah that was funny. <laughs> it kind of looks like a Lego ship in that way. Like if you were just going to have a bin of undifferentiated Legos. Yeah. Yeah. And make something like you just grab an antenna and stick it on the side. Give me a stopwatch and a map and I'll fly the Alps in a plane with no windows. Map is accurate enough. I spent a lot of last week sick in bed. And one thing I was so happy I had when I needed something to eat but didn't really have the energy to cook myself something was Factor Meals. Got a couple of these in the fridge at all times, and they are delicious, fresh, never frozen, chef-crafted meals, and they're ready to go in just about two minutes. And this is convenience food that is actually tasty and full of real ingredients and not hyper-processed crap. And they got you covered all throughout the day. They got pancakes, smoothies, grab-and-go bites, and uh, you can get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Plus, you can pause and reschedule deliveries at any time. So head to factormeals.com slash trek50 and use code trek50 to get 50% off. That's code trek50 at factormeals.com slash trek50 to get 50% off. Top of the morning to you. This episode is brought to you by the St. Patrick's Day Shamrock Shavers Manscaped. This year, don't just chase rainbows. Make your own pot of gold and groom your little leprechaun with the leaders in Below the Kilt Care. I didn't make that up. That's actual copy sent to us by the great folks over at Manscaped who make the shaver that I use downstairs on my little leprechaun. And uh, I recommend it. Uh, it works great. Uh, trimming the hedges in your Irish garden isn't just for below the belt. You can complete your look with their new signature Beard Hedger Pro Kit, plus Handyman Electric Face Shaver. Everything they make is really good and high quality, and this new trimmer that they have comes with two interchangeable next-gen skin-safe blades. They've got one for a classic trim and a new foil blade to go smooth wherever your heart desires. So get 20% off plus free shipping with code TREK at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and get free shipping with code TREK at manscapes.com. This St. Patrick's Day, make sure your little hairy leprechaun is luckier than ever with Manscaped. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. 
The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org slash newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. So they decide they need to go deeper. Spock says something about going deeper would destroy the ship. And Pike is like, great idea, Spock. Let's do it. And... So they're going as far into the star as the ship can take. And they pivot right into submarine terminology here. They're just not even denying that anymore. Yeah. It's going to be hell in the lower decks. There's going to be like crushing of bulkheads. You can do all the stuff. I don't like it either. An Enterprise has to dive. Helm, take us down. Aye, aye, Skipper. Dive, dive, dive. Cut to Six Bay, where Mabenga and Nurse Chapel are... Finishing up their, their their medievalism on number one, I thought it was weird because in the in that first scene, Mabenga asked Nurse Chapel how her sewing skills were, but then he's the one that's doing the sewing of the wounds. Yeah, I didn't get that either. You know what else I don't get? What red bedding in six bay? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's just strategically wise, I think. I don't know. I mean, <laughs> I think you want to see from across the room if a patient is just shooting blood everywhere. <laughs> yeah, okay, maybe. But you have to get very close to be able to tell. Maybe you have a point. Maybe, I mean, maybe that's uh, red, red bedding for uh, all the aliens that have blood of different colors, you know? Like You're Hammer's right. got blue blood, Spock's got green blood. I was being alien racist, wasn't I? Mm. If you could only hear yourself. Does anyone need any more of these human blankets? <laughs> <laughs> My very name is racist. So uh, the ship is buckling in the lower decks. They're trying to like evacuate them. Pike is willing to sacrifice lower decks Yeah. without any sort of thought at all. It makes you wonder how the show feels about discovery. Mm. Like, <laughs> yeah, does, does Pike like discovering things? Right. <laughs> I noticed your walls and your quarters, Captain, were kind of bare. How do you feel about picking art? <laughs> Pick art? Max Fun may ask us to stop making this show. <laughs> yeah. We see a great scene in Lower Decks, like the version of 
Valve hitting face and someone drowning in a submarine. Yeah. You have your orders. Now seal a goddamn bay before we all go down. Chief Kyle is thrown through a closing blast door by the person he was trying to save. Yeah. A shame that they didn't get Steve Zahn to play this part. Yeah. I feel like Steve Zahn should have, you know, first red refusal on guys that go down like this in movies and TV for the rest of history. Right. Right. I mean, he's lucky he didn't get his beaming fingers caught in that door. Oh, yeah. Come on. Then he'd be out of a job. Oh, jeez. Him and Hammer getting their hands (laughs) screwed up in one episode? What's going on? Yeah, they're running out of people to operate the transporter at this rate. (laughs) So the Enterprise is really struggling under the pressure in this star, but uh, this gambit also works because the next Gordon ship to be chasing them implodes just in time i love the shot of it being crushed yeah it's cool it's weird like a crushing looks so much more unusual and difficult than an explosion yeah yeah and it wasn't something that you could do in the model miniatures era without like i guess if you made the model out of like foil and and like did a stop motion effect of it crushing or something but it probably wasn't really possible to do right until the digital era. Right. And uh, it looks great. Yeah, it really does. Looks like they really got what they deserved. Mm. Yeah, those fucking Gorns. When the dust settles from this, is going to be hell to pay in Moscow. When the ship gets crushed, we get Pikes on the stool between rounds of a boxing match face. And this isn't the first time this episode we see it. Like, there is some real... Yeah. Some real attitude happening. And it's not just Laon bringing it. Pike is really uh, really bringing the faces here in a way that I enjoy. Yeah. I mean, it's one of the sweatiest episodes of Star Trek we've gotten in a long time. Right. And, uh, they're, you know, they mention that, like, the, the star is really hot and it's overwhelming the yeah. ability of the ship to regulate the temperature. But, yeah, like, people look way more desperate when they're, like, drenched in, in flop sweat, you know? Yeah, yeah. The torpedo bay wasn't the only thing that got compromised. They're down to one torpedo. They're also down to one unit of plasma. Yeah. And they're going to need it for number one. But they also need it for somebody else that's also in six bay. This scene surprised me because in a typical, you know, blood transfusion situation. Yeah. With what we learned about Una in the last episode, I was like, what would her blood do to a blood transfusion? (laughs) And is it possible for her to be sedated was another question I had. Like, what is the extent of her Ilarian? Illyrian? Her her Illyrian-ness. Yeah. Illyrian-ness. What is the extent of her Illyrian powers? Right. Yeah, it seems like that is not addressed at all in this episode. And that's mainly because they didn't do a last time on about that (laughs) specific issue. (laughs) Yeah. She basically in this scene is like, hey, listen, my manicure is dope enough that I think I'm going to survive this. Like, look at these. Are you kidding me? You know, if I'm lucky enough to be the one put into (laughs) the one remaining torpedo, I want it to be uh, open hand caskets. Yeah. Right. So like the the casket's closed, but what I'm doing is sticking my arms out through two holes on either side, sort of yeah. hugging the roof of the casket to me. Yeah. If you could get like a 
hole saw with like a four inch <laughs> diameter and just right. pull my hands through two holes <laughs> so that people can see this fucking incredible manicure. That's an order. <laughs> yeah. Tremendous. <laughs> so she passes out and uh, back up on the bridge, Spock says like, hey, listen, this black hole is starting to become a problem. Remember the black hole we set up at the beginning of this episode? Yeah, it's starting to give me a brown dwarf in my pants. <laughs> Precisely. Yeah, I'm, I'm worried it might turn into a brown giant because uh, <laughs> that's how freaked out I am. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, but what's weird is like uh, the brown dwarfs are so much more energetic than brown right. giants. It, it, <laughs> stuff like that. <laughs> Smell them in the next room. Yeah. So he and uh, Lieutenant Singh are going to take the shuttle Galileo to see if the coast is clear. Because if the brown dwarf is getting consumed by this black hole... They want to leave, but they don't know if the Gorn have given up the chase. And Lieutenant Singh is is on team. The Gorn never give up. They are totally relentless. So It's like shuttlecraft as periscope here. Yeah. And so uh, despite the extremely high risk, they fly away in the shuttle and pretty quickly find the remaining Gorn ships. And I think there's a few of them, but uh, they're communicating by shooting like species 10c light beams back and forth at each other right they're they're communicating via laser show just can't hear the music and this is when laan turns to spock and says meld me daddy i've heard what vulcans can do and he does (laughs) (laughs) we see what happens to her like the the crew of the puget sound was brought to a gorn breeding planet for food and then this is a part of this meld that i really like Spock asks for additional consent before going deeper. He's like, yeah, this is getting very deep. Are you still okay with this? <laughs> yeah. Making sure it's uh, the meld is going well for her yeah. along the way. Yeah. It's a good practice. And um, this is when we see like little girl version of La'an, but then eventually replaced by a grown-up version of La'an in her place uh, in the moment when her brother sacrificed himself to let her get away. Mm -hmm. And in sacrificing himself, he gave her this notebook he'd been keeping while on the Gordon planet. He'd figured out the the clicking pattern that they make, sort of Gorn Morse code. Mm -hmm. And the the notebook has... (laughs) I mean, (laughs) I think it's a bit silly that the Gorn, like, use the exact same alphabet that we do because like one of the pages is literally like a and then it's like a series of clicks b <laughs> series of clicks right but uh <laughs> willing to look past that he's kind of solved for gorn language and we've also solved for who that mystery figure was yeah it's laon's brother yeah i don't know why he's always smiling he met such a horrible end he was smiling You know who isn't smiling here is Spock, and that is because Laan got a hit off of him from this experience, a hit that makes Laan close to figuring out Spock's dark secret. And Ethan Peck's performance here gives me chills to even think about. I hoped he had this gear, but this is the gear of 
one of the great actors in Star Trek. Like, I was yeah. blown away by this moment and his expression and everything. Because he wants to get out of this moment. Yeah. I think we should end this mind melt now. He does, though. Like, there is no further conversation after the suggestion that he has a sister who sacrificed herself for him. And that she's a secret. The meld ends, and then it's La'an, a plan, a remodulated phaser, Panama. (laughs) (laughs) She she convinces the Gorn mothership that one of the little Gorn ships has been taken over by humans and... The trick works. It does. The mothership kills the littler ship, and there's an amazing camera hold on her yeah. after this that lasts way longer than I would have guessed. It is chilling, man. That's because Christina Chong goes face to face with Ethan Peck in acting here. Yeah. In almost subsequent scenes. And I think they're really extraordinary. Yeah. Really heavy stuff. What do you make of the expression? Like, is this joy? She enjoyed this moment, didn't she? I think so. I almost took it as like horror. Like, I can't believe that worked. I can't believe we just like caused the death of an entire ship full of Gorns. God, we had very different takes of this. I feel like there's something about her uh, that needed this type of vengeance, that needed to get one back. And there was a satisfaction to that yeah. that we're seeing via this expression. Yeah. I think maybe it's a mixture of both. Like yeah. It's like horrified satisfaction. Yeah. Which is the feeling I get whenever we finish recording one of these. Bombs away. What they need to do is find a bigger Gorn ship to convince that this other Gorn ship has done the same thing. And then <laughs> so on and so on and so on. It's like... It's like cryptocurrency that's like, invest now. You don't want to be left out. (laughs) Yeah. It's a lethal Ponzi scheme. We do not give in to fear. There is a B story here, Ben. You remember? It's an engineering. Yeah. It's uh, hard to know whether the Ahura hammer thing is the B story or the Una is fucked up in six bay thing is the B story. Yeah. But. Yeah, we cut back to Ohura and Hammer, and she has not completed the repair correctly. The thing is uh, is spinning out of control. It's going to go nuclear. So now the only solution is to vent the entire contents of the cargo bay into space because they can't beam it into space. They can't get out of the cargo bay themselves. And uh, so they're kind of making their peace with that. When the bridge crew hits on the idea of dropping the atmosphere processor as a decoy being like actually kind of an awesome mm-hmm. plan. <laughs> right. It was going to blow big. We learned that earlier. Why not yeah. use the big blow? Yeah. To convince the Gorn that the entrepreneur has died. So so right. what they're going to do is slingshot themselves around the black hole, poop out the atmospheric processor right before it blows so that the Gorn will observe the explosion there's some discussion of the red shift that happens at the mm-hmm. singularity around a black hole. I didn't really feel like they represented that on screen. I didn't either. I was expecting to see a ship frozen in space yeah, and then the Gorn ship attacking it, but that's not actually where it was because of the red shift. Yeah. What happened there? I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, they get away. 
When Pike says she'll hold, and he says this a lot in this episode about yeah. his optimism about the ship not flying apart, do you think that confidence comes from him knowing he will live through the day and eventually get put into a beeping chair? Yeah, and then like because of that confidence, like he is just willing to like put the ship through absolute hell. Because the ship is fucked up when they fly away from the... I would like to know... I wonder if they will ever revisit moments like this. Like, if we ever get that after-mission moment where Spock and Pike have drinks in Pike's quarters and Spock is like, you're really uh, really gambling with your house money, huh? You know, people around you can still die. I don't think I like your tone, Slavin. What the hell's my tone got to do with it? We're risking our lives here. Yeah, they get away. There's a nice moment where they get the camera in the in the cargo bay, and they they think Hemera and Ahura have have bought it because they were in like EVA suits, and the bracket that they clipped their carabiners to barely held, but they made it. Hey Ben, do you ship a Hammer? <laughs> oh, you think that? Uh, I don't know, man, because she's a cadet. I feel like it's a bit inappropriate. You know what? You're right. There is a power imbalance there that probably isn't a good look. Yeah. But I do like how they're getting along. I'll just say that. Keep your focus and maybe pick up the pace. I mean, I ship a cool mentor-mentee relationship between them. There you go. And we could still call it a hammer. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I loved the sigh of relief by Pike when he found out that his uh, all-star cadet and his chief of engineering didn't die oh boy ben this is not a beat like i know we're like trained for this moment you watch enough movies and television it's like that pregnant pause of the staticky screen and we're not sure if our buddies are are gonna survive it right this moment walks 10 steps past that this is not a beat this is 15 beats it really is and i thought that decision was so good yeah and very humanizing of Pike. Like, I don't know why it's so rare, but like the Star Trek captain, like genuinely relieved that a couple people didn't, yeah. didn't buy it. It, yeah. it just felt like a... You see his emotional banger. Yeah. It was a unique moment. Yeah. I think that was quite a miracle. Pike has like experienced that exhalation, but La'an is already looking forward to the next time, right? Like she yeah. cannot <laughs> relax the way Pike can. Yeah. It's like La'an is thinking she's going to be put into a beeping chair the next day, every day. <laughs> what does she do for fun, Ben? Grieve. Yeah, she loves that shit. Do you think La'an is the most metal crew person we've ever known? <laughs> she is so metal. She's very metal. We are prey. She stays metal. Also, metal is Dr. Mabenga just like piping his blood into number one. Yeah. While continuing to work in six pay. Yeah. How about that? How long is that leash? Do you think he was like wheeling her gurney around? He's like getting to the end of it. And he's like, I need a little bit more slack. And he like pulls her a little (laughs) closer to whoever he's operating on. Yeah, I mean, it may be like one of those uh, lanyards you use to click open a door in a corporate office. Like, <laughs> like maybe it just kind of stretches out Zoom. and then retracts. <laughs> That's one of her genetic modifications is that yeah. she's got that. Yeah. Pretty fun. The original version of this scene was uh, Mabenga's daughter 
up on a bio bed giving her blood to Una. Mabenga's <laughs> daughter hanging from an IV rack. <laughs> <laughs> the the hook hooking into the back of her overalls <laughs> and then like number one like wheelchairing down the hallway yeah. while pushing that <laughs> that rack alongside her <laughs> did you like this episode of strange new worlds adam i really did uh maybe my favorite of the season so far and i mean it's easy to say because I loved all the submarine aspects to it, mm-hmm. but it's not just that for me. Like that moment of the 15 beats at the end is an extremely confident show making an extremely confident choice. Yeah. And it's that kind of confidence that I'm really responding to so early in a series here. I love that we never saw the Gorn. I think it's the right choice. Part of me hopes we never do. Yeah. Because I don't think much could live up to what is in my imagination. And I really love that moment between La'an and Spock where they realize their similarity in in sibling loss, you know? Yeah. I thought that yeah. was just a really powerful moment that the show is so young for two characters we barely know to have a moment that heavy. It doesn't seem possible to reach that kind of weight so soon, but I was totally gut-punched by that moment in a way I was not expecting. Well, I think without season two of Discovery, you couldn't have even done it. Like, like they could have tried for it. I don't don't think it would have worked, but, like, I think that this show is doing, like, really impressive and confident shit in the context of the, like, larger universe that it exists in. How it chooses to contextualize those things is really deft, though. Yeah, absolutely. Because there are other shows on Paramount Plus that are not doing it as well. Right, right. And um, this is doing it really nicely. And like, I also think that something so impressive about this episode is how nakedly an homage it is to Wrath of Khan and to that first episode with the Borgs. Why doesn't it feel derivative, though? It doesn't. It feels like a new take. Yeah. I think because the characters are so strong, the the different people going through their different things, it feels like just as interesting because we are experiencing it with new characters and they are unique and not just the characters themselves aren't derivative. So yeah. the experience can be similar without it feeling just like a warmed over version of a previous premise. Right. Right. Really strong stuff. Yeah. You want to see if we have any strong stuff in the Priority One inbox, Adam? Oh, boy. Look at this. This is too strong to mix in the Priority One inbox, Ben. Priority One message from Starfleet coming in on Secured Channel. Our first Priority One message is of a personal nature. It's from Mark, and it's to you and me. It goes like this. I'm pouring one out for the DMA drop. Come on! DMA! Cause if I want it, I gotta come and get it. Stay message with it. It's crashing the moons into planets, baby. Birds have died. What does this thing want? What does this thing want? DMA. RSVP, sweet prince. See you guys in Boston. I'll be sitting with Mike and Kristar Kolgar. And in case this airs after the show, wow, what a night! Hmm? 
Ben's spoken word rendition of Rocket Man while Adam took a bathroom break was enthralling. I don't know how Mark guessed that. Yeah, I mean, uh, you always take a bathroom break during the wine show. So. It's true. It's from all the wine. Yeah. It's, uh, it fills you up in a way that liquor just doesn't. It's true. Thanks for coming out to the Boston show, Mark, Mike, and Kristar Kolgar. God, it feels like so long ago that we were out on tour. It's making me a little sad now. Is Mark mock? And is it mock because of the Boston accent? I think so. Is that what's going on? What the hell is going on? Well, that's what we're trying to figure out. I think you solved it. Whoa! <laughs> Krista Shrimp Koga. <laughs> yeah, thanks for coming out to the show. That Boston show was a, a real highlight for us, for sure. Absolutely. Ben, our second priority one message is from Mike, son of Fred. And it is to anybody. <laughs> Message goes like this. I have brought dishonor on the house of Fred. Oh, no. My younger brother, Jack, son of Fred, has been an annual P1 contributor for two years now. And I have been silent. Please accept these hard-earned scarves as my atonement. Because I know how badly things can go for younger brothers after discommendation. <laughs> Yeah, you don't want you don't want to have your brother's brains scrambled just because you screwed something up. Yeah, I mean, I also don't think that people should be shamed into buying P1s. It's a nice thing to do, but if it's not in the budget or if it's not to your taste, you don't have to. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and and Jack, if he ends up like some brothers on Star Trek, might not even remember. Yeah, what happened to him? Yeah, could be fine for him. Yeah, could be better for Jack actually in a lot of ways. <laughs> Uh, wow. Well, if you uh, would like to get a P1 and aren't doing it under duress, head to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron, set it up, and uh, we will be your P1 Chadich. Hey, Ben. What's that, Adam? Did you discover yourself an Edward Larkin? Edward Larkin! Yeah, I think I'm going to give it to Mubenga for uh, elbowing Nurse Chapel out of the way to do the stitching himself. And then he pipes it in himself with the blood. Yeah. This guy's just a glutton for punishment, I feel like. Yeah, what's that about? Yeah, so I think Mubenga is going to be my Edward Larkin today. How about you? That's a good one, Ben. Hmm. I am inclined to give it to Spock. Do you think that Spock didn't know that the meld was a two-way street in this way? Or was the situation so intense that he couldn't like mentally defend against <laughs> the mental membrane being pierced by someone else, you know? Yeah. I mean, we've always known that the meld is a two-way street, so it's it's hard to imagine that Spock wouldn't know that. I mean, we've seen him meld so many times. He knows, and we know. Yeah. So no one should have been surprised by that. He really, uh, like, he did not put up much of a fight when he was like, you know, melding isn't just like a shortcut to mm-hmm. solving your problems. And she was like, no, I really insist. He's like kneeling in front of her before she finishes the sentence. Yeah. <laughs> Do you think when it's sweaty, there's uh, a little bit of interference in the meld? Oh. Because uh, they're both sweaty during, and Spock's yeah. got sweaty hands. She's got a sweaty face. Mm. Yeah. 
or does it increase the connectivity? Like, is it? Oh yeah, you know, electrical contact. That's why uh, you rarely saw Sarek lick his fingers before. <laughs> <laughs> Just gonna go ahead and lube these up, and uh, away we go. My mind into your mind. <laughs> You know, she who is my wife has to lube up before <laughs> these days as well. Something that happens to all of us as we get older. You know, you, you get to be a Vulcan of a certain age. There's no <laughs> shame in that. It's fine. It, you make it more comfortable for all parties. Yeah. Well, I, <laughs> that just about does it for this episode of The Greatest Discovery. We saved the best joke for last, didn't we? Uh, the grossest, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we will uh, be reviewing the next episode of Strange New Worlds next week, and uh, we'll hear a little bit about that in the credits for this episode. The Greatest Discovery is an Uxbridge Shimoda podcast on the Maximum Fun Network. It's hosted by Ben Harrison and Adam Pranica. It's produced and edited by Wendy Purdy. Next up on Star Trek Strange New Worlds, it's episode five, Spock Amok. It's a comedy of manners when Spock has a personal visit in the middle of a crucial negotiation with an unusual alien species. We've got some people to say thank you to. First up, it's Adam Ragusia, who composed all of the original music that you hear on this show. Get subscribed to his podcast and his YouTube cooking channel. Another big thanks to Bill Tilly, who handles the social media for Uxbridge Shimoda. Make sure you're following us on Instagram and Twitter, at Greatest Trek, and use the hashtag Greatest Discovery to talk about the show online. Finally, thanks to everyone who helps support the ongoing production of The Greatest Generation and The Greatest Discovery with a monthly gift. You can join them at MaximumFun.org join, and we really appreciate it. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week with more of The Greatest Discovery. Oh, jeez. Tar, it's okay, bud. He's really conked out over here. You need to give him a the canine CPAP, the CCPAP. <laughs> MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned, audience supported.